0: Well, hey, good morning. Uh, It's good to see you all. Uh, Today we are continuing on in our series of Who is Jesus? Discovering him through the gospel according to John. So as we get ready to jump into that, uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, uh, we are grateful for the chance to be together, uh, to gather together in this space and to, to see one another um, but we're also grateful for this gift of technology that um, those that aren't able to be here with us in person are able to join us on Zoom. Um, and God we're grateful uh, even more for the, the beautiful, profound, divine, sacred mystery that is your spirit that draws us here in this space and here in our, er, and there in our homes together uh, to create something that we call the body of Christ. Um, God we're grateful for that. So God, now as we turn to the scriptures and open them and wrestle with them, we yield ourselves to your spirit and ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the things that I love about Jesus, but also drives me absolutely bonkers about Jesus, is all of the weird stuff that he has to say. Um, because he has a lot of weird stuff to say, right? I mean, if we read through the Gospels, there's, there's a plethora of weird stuff that he has to say. And if we think about like the breadth that is the weird stuff that Jesus has to say, it seems as though there's a couple different categories of this weirdness, right? Um, perhaps we might say that there's one camp that is the, the weird stuff that's weird because it's uh, challenging or difficult or uncomfortable, perhaps, like that whole like loving your enemies sort of business, or like doing good to those that harm you. Like, that's weird because like that's not normal, <laughs> right? Um, like I I would like to tell Jesus that I don't know if you know this, but there's a reason why somebody moved from someone that I like, or maybe even uh, or someone that I love, or maybe even like, or maybe even feel ambivalent about, all the way to enemy. And because of that thing that happened, like I don't really want to love them, right? Likewise, if somebody does harm to me, like, I don't want to do good to them. Like, I want to harm them back, to, at least to the fullest extent that they harm me, if not more than that, right? And so this is weird because it's challenging, it's um, difficult, it's uncomfortable, and I think that's, like, the, the point, <laughs> right? It seems like Jesus is trying to, like, help us collectively as humanity to, like, grow up in some way, uh, to, like, I- evolve our understanding of what it means to be human, to, to move past, like, these barriers of of enemy and who we love and who we don't love and who we choose to do good to and who that we don't choose to do good to. So that's that one camp of weird because it's uh, challenging, difficult, uncomfortable. But then there's a whole nother camp of like weird because it's confusing, right? Uh, How about the fact that like Jesus seems very adamant that he never answers a question with something like, oh, I don't know an answer, Uh, The fact that like, when he's asked a question, he responds most of the time, not just with a question, but like 17 questions. And I wish Jesus 2,000 years ago was thinking about me as a preacher, having to decide which of these 17 questions I'm going to address and try and figure out because it makes a sermon very, very difficult. Would that be too much to ask of Jesus? My goodness. Now, under all of these like weird but confusing sorts of things that Jesus says, one of them is, I am the bread of life. Now, this is weird because it's confusing, but like, I think we could collectively wrap our minds around this, right? If we got enough people in the room, maybe we did enough study, enough prayer, enough discussion, collectively, we could come to some understanding of like, what it is that Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the bread of life. But Jesus doesn't just stop here. Jesus pushes the agenda a little bit more and says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, Okay, now, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this language, and you're like, yeah, we just take this for what it is. Yeah, it's like, good morning, hello, how's it going? Like, it becomes a common sort of vernacular for us. But Jesus is talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. Like, let's not forget, this is weird, right? (laughs) So I spent all week trying to wrap my mind around what to do with this. And I will be honest, I got to Thursday morning, which is normally when I feel good about my sermon. I have it all put together, and it's my first time talking through it, and I quickly realized I had no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) And here's how you can tell if a preacher has no idea what he's talking about. They say an awful lot of things, um, but never actually get to anything. And I quickly realized I was saying an awful lot of things, and it was going to be a long sermon, but I wasn't actually saying anything. And I thought, ooh, that's not good. (laughs) So, fast forward to this morning, uh, I'm still not sure I know what I'm talking about. However, um, that's reassuring, right? However, uh, there was this phrase that continued to, like, come to mind all week, and I could not get past it, and that's the phrase eating, remembering, and living. So, if you will, uh, let's jump into John, and I'll see if I can uh, help us figure out how we got, or how I got to this. So in John chapter 6, Jesus uses this phrase, I am the bread of life, multiple times. And as we read it, like, there's like, this growing like, pushback against it to the point where it almost feels like there's some sort of hostile response to Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And my assumption is that it's not this entire phrase that draws this hostility of, I am the bread of life. But my assumption is, is that it's actually the first two words of what Jesus says that brings about this host, hostile sort of response. And that's the, the two words, I am. Because the word that uh, Jesus uses for this phrase, I am, in the Greek, is the equivalent of the Hebrew word that, gets tr- that is what God uses when God discloses God's self to, he- to Moses all the way back in the book of Exodus when God says that I am who I am. And this becomes like the name of God, and this becomes like this sacred holy name that like, Jewish people for uh, centuries wouldn't even utter the name so that they wouldn't desecrate it in some sort of way. And now we fast forward, and here's this like ragtag sort of homeless rabbi walking around, throwing out this phrase, I am, I am, I am, rather rather, uh, um, uh, rather frivol- frivolously. And so like you can imagine, like as he says, I am the bread of life, there's a little bit of like, ooh. But as he keeps saying, I am the bread of life, it's like, oh, 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 this is getting very, very uncomfortable. Like if you're in a group of Harry Potter fans and somebody starts saying Voldemort, right? Everybody starts to shiver a little bit. So you can imagine like there's this, this hostility growing as he says, I am the bread of life each and every time. So in verse 48, he says it for the last time. But then he begins to explain what he means by, I am the bread of life. So starting in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? A reasonable, logical question, yes? So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. All sorts of beautiful things here that Jesus says, right? Like, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, like, you, will, you have life in you. I will raise you up on the last day. Uh, Um, I will abide in you and you will abide in me, all of these beautiful things. And yet, let's not forget the fact he's saying if we eat his flesh and drink his blood, right? We still have this problem. This is weird. So what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, with a little bit of like 2,000 years of perspective here, uh, I I feel comfortable saying that I think what, what John is having Jesus say here is talking about what we might call the Eucharist or what we might call communion, or what we might call the Lord's Supper. Now, the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper, became like a, a core practice within the early church, among these early uh, communities that were following Jesus. And uh, this became so deeply embedded in them, so ingrained in them, uh, that like, this became like the, the, uh, the pinnacle of worship. Uh, it wasn't somebody standing up and giving a monologue for 15, 20 minutes, unfortunately, but it was this, this meal that they would have at the table of Jesus, this fellowship around the table, eating food with one another. Now, it became such an ingrained sort of core practice that John, who is writing much later than the, than the life of Jesus, who's writing later than even the other Gospels, that when he starts using this language about eating my flesh and drinking my blood— those communities would have been like, oh yeah, we get this. Like, that's the Eucharist. Like, that's the thing that we do every week. That's the thing that is like this culmination of our worship together. John telling the the words of Jesus didn't need to explain this because they got it. Like, they just understood. It's like if uh, you're in Canton and somebody's like, hey, did you go to the Hall of Fame? Nobody in Canton history has ever said, well, which Hall of Fame? The Basketball Hall of Fame? The Baseball Hall of Fame? The Cribbage Hall of Fame? The Hockey Hall of Fame? No, we know the Pro Football Hall of Fame, right? Because we have this monstrosity that is deeply embedded in the life of our city. That when we talk about the Hall of Fame, we know the Hall of Fame, right? So for the early church communities, when John starts having Jesus use this language of eating my flesh and drinking my blood, they're like, oh yeah, the Eucharist. Still has this question of what in the world did they think they were talking, what was happening as they took the Eucharist together, right? So thankfully, uh, we have some recorded discourse of what what they understood was happening in, uh, at, the, at the Eucharist. So in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have Paul, who is this early leader within the early church, who was responsible for planning churches, tending to churches, cultivating churches, and handling all sorts of conflicts and disputes within churches. Is writing to the church in Corinth, who, by the way, a little bit of a nightmare if we read it closely, right? All sorts of crazy things happening there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul seems to be addressing one of these particular sorts of things that's happening within this community, and that is like all of these abuses that are happening around the Eucharist, around communion, around the Lord's Supper. And so as these people are coming together for this, this meal, more than just a, a piece of bread and a little shot glass of juice like we uh, tend to do, like as they're coming together for this robust meal, there's some, some injustice that's happening here. And again, because this is such a central, core, ingrained, embedded practice in the life of the church, Paul wants them to get this right because there's a bit of a trickle-down effect from this. You get this right, and the rest of things will kind of fall into place. But if you get this wrong, everything else kind of gets a little bit wonky as you get further and further away. So Paul wants to explain what's happening here. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says to them, For I received from the Lord what i also handed on to you which means like i got this from jesus i heard it from the horse's mouth itself so like you better listen to what i'm saying here that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he, he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body that is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So first off, here Paul acknowledges that Jesus did this uh, with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. So the last night of Jesus's life prior to his crucifixion, the Gospels tell us that Jesus gathers all of his disciples together, and uh, he's he's given like. Th- it's like that last week of the semester when your professor's like, okay, we didn't have time to get through that all of that, so like, f- filing all of like, this last-minute information in. And so like, th- all of this is so, such a dense sort of moment. And then they come to this meal. And this meal acts as like a bit of a bookend of these three years that Jesus has had with his disciples. The end of this three years of teaching, this end of three years of journeying, this, this end of this three years of trying to walk in the way of Jesus as a group. They come to this meal, which seems to suggest that this meal is symbolic in some way of all of this. All of this three years of Jesus' life, all of this three years of wandering with Jesus, all three years of these teachings and these stories that they have experienced with Jesus is somehow symbolized in this bread and this cup. So there's that. But then secondly, Paul has Jesus saying both times after he takes the bread and after he takes the cup, to do this in remembrance of me. So this word remembrance seems to be significant here. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but when I hear the word remember, I tend to think about its uh, opposite of forgetting, because I know, I look like I have it all together. Um, At least I attempt to look like I have it all together, but I'm actually a very forgetful person. And thanks be to God that there are things like Siri that can remind me and keep me straight in life because without Siri, I would forget just about everything in life. Not quite like breathe in, breathe out, that sort of level, but pretty close, right? And so when I hear the word remember, I think about its opposite of like forgetting, which brings to mind this idea of like calling to mind, right? So when we hear the word remember, we often think of like calling to mind to remember something. But when Paul uses this word remember, he's not using it as the way that I do with Siri, but he's using it in a very deeply sort of Jewish understanding. And in the Jewish understanding, when uh, you use this word remember, you are talking about to re-member. You get the difference now, right? Of course not. Uh, Remember, re meaning like to do again, and member meaning like the member of a body, like an arm or a leg or something like that. And so when he says to remember, we're talking about like putting members back together putting back flesh, if you will. And so he's talking about this this meal that symbolizes the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, this this meal that symbolizes the entirety of the story of Jesus. He says when you do this, you are doing it remembering Jesus putting on the flesh and blood of Jesus once again, putting on the story of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven, putting on the life, the teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus, being these walking little Christs around the world, uh, living as if we are Jesus himself. And so communion then begins to be a bit of an object lesson. As we come to it, we are to call to mind this life, this story, this teaching, this death, this resurrection of Jesus, and begin to embody this faith that we have in the story as we begin to live our daily lives. So as we come to the table and eat this, we begin to like. uh, It begins to move us, to compel us, to to push us to begin to uh, walk in a certain kind of peculiar way. Of living, Which, of course, brings us back to this idea of eating, remembering, and living. Because as we come to the table and we begin to eat the flesh and blood of Jesus, it calls not just to mind, but calls to our very bodies, the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the life that Jesus was living. And as we eat it and as we are remembering this, as we are putting it back together in our very flesh and blood, then it begins to push us into living a peculiar sort of certain kind of way of living. Now this peculiar certain kind of way of living is what Jesus refers to throughout the Gospel of John as eternal life. All throughout the Gospel of John, we, ha- we see Jesus talking about eternal life, that, that this will bring about eternal life, that this will lead to eternal life, that this will endure towards eternal life. Now, the other Gospels don't really use this language of eternal life, but rather they use this language of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And these, these phrases are essentially like synonymous and interchangeable. And what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, or eternal life Is talking about like the rule and reign of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Or perhaps we could put it a little bit more scandalously and say that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom or when he's talking about eternal life, he's talking about some sort of divine conspiracy where God is wanting to live God's life in us and through us. And this seems to be the thing that Jesus is entirely consumed with from the, the beginning of his life until his resurrection and ascension, that he is consumed with getting this idea across with his life, with his teachings, with every single interaction that he has with somebody about that God is wanting to live God's life in you and through you so that we can experience life on, life on earth as it is in heaven from this moment on into eternity. And Jesus seems to speak as if this is possible and accessible for every single human being. And because Jesus is so passionate about this, because this consumes the very life of Jesus, he gives us this tangible reminder, this tangible practice, so that we can call not just to mind, but call to our very flesh and blood, the very thing that he came uh, to reveal to us. Now, because of like, all of this, because of all of like the symbolism and the beauty of that, um, I really love the Eucharist. Um, I'll be honest; I'm, I'm a bit jealous of like other like Christian traditions that practice it every week, because um, I think there's something really beautiful about like every week entering into this re- eating, this remembering, this living, this this regular practice of eating, remembering, living, eating, remembering, living. Um, I think it's a really beautiful thing, and I love the Eucharist because of it. Because I love it so much. Um, we uh, uh, we we did this at our wedding. Um, now I know that like receiving Eucharist is like a common sort of thing uh, at weddings, uh, but I feel like we did something a little different with it. So um, the language that was used was as their first act as a married couple, um, we received the Eucharist. My brother-in-law who married us uh, gave us the bread and the juice. But then what, what felt unique was then Allie and I took the bread and we took the juice and then we turned to all of our guests and then we began to serve communion to uh, those that were there to, to witness this. And for us, it was a really important sort of thing of like, as we began this sh- new shared life together that this was like a, a reminder of like what we're pursuing with our life. Um, and for us, this was like a, a, a way for us to embody this sort of posture that we wanna have with this new shared life that we are entering into together, this committed covenanted life together, that we want our posture to be that of Jesus, of the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, to embody the story of Jesus with the way that we um, live out this shared life together. And so as we took the bread and took the juice, this was our way of like declaring that like, this is what we're about and this is what we want to be about with our lives. And I think that at its best, that this is one of the many things that, that the Eucharist can draw out of us. A way of declaring, like, this is, this is what we want to be about. Um, and so as we eat the bread and drink the, the juice, um, it, it, it calls not just to mind, but calls to our very bodies as we remember the story of Jesus. And it pushes us to uh, begin to embody this certain kind of peculiar way of living. But why would we just talk about this when we can actually do it, right? <laughs> so uh, we're going to get ready to move into a, a time of, of Eucharist together. Um, so I think Andy is going to uh, come up and uh, play some music for us, set the mood for us a bit, uh, and then uh, those that are helping serve us, they can come on up too. Um, and we have tried to think through about the most like COVID-safe way to do this. Um, so there's hand sanitizer up there that they'll be using, they'll be using tongs for us. Uh, so when you come up, extend your hand like this, and you'll receive. We have individual cups, and um, you can step off to the side, pull your mask down. There's even trash cans over here to dispose of your cups. And then you can kind of head on back to your seat. Um, uh, trying to think through any other details that are important with that. Um, yeah, and so... Um, I do apologize that, like, the last time we took communion was Easter, almost a year ago. Um, And uh, I just kind of gave up on it because of the complications with COVID. But I think this tells us that this is a really important thing. I think Jesus tells us that this is a really important sort of thing. And so um, uh, I'm going to do my best to not let us go a whole year (laughs) without doing this again, but to try and practice it more regularly. Um, So if uh, you're here this morning and you, you think that like eating in some way will, will compel you to remember the, the story of Jesus and begin to, to, to push you into a certain kind of peculiar way of living, and you want to partake in that, um, we invite you uh, to come forward to the table of Jesus as uh, we get started. So uh, as we get ready to enter into that, uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Living God, uh, we are grateful for um, the bread and the juice. Um, that uh, there's something symbolic, something sacred that's happening there, um, and that as we come to eat that, um, that it's it's causing us to remember that in some way, not to just call it to mind, but to call it into our very bodies. So God, this morning, as we um, we move into this time of the Eucharist. Uh, would your spirit be using this to, to, re, uh, to allow us to remember this and to begin to, to move us into a certain kind of peculiar way of living um, that you call the, the kingdom of God or eternal life? Uh, so God, we, we love you, we praise you, and we're grateful for all of this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.